I'm back in the saddle again. Broadcasting live on Star Worldwide Networks, Sharon Camarillo's fun and fast times. Nobody holds a candle to me in my red high heels. Join National Hall of Famer and author Sharon Camarillo as she inspires, educates, and entertains while exploring the fastest growing equine sport, barrel racing. Get information from top trainers, competitors, and equine educators. Tips on training, competition, hauling, nutrition, and more. And now, live from the beautiful San Joaquin Valley of California, here's your host, Sharon Camarillo. Day. Welcome back, and it's always great to be with you, trusting you're well, and thank you for joining us on our 40th podcast of Fun and Fast Times on Star Worldwide Network. There's been a lot of hot air in the last 40 podcasts, and we hope that you've enjoyed them. Our show today focuses on life's journeys that we each in our own way take in order to attempt to achieve our goals. When I graduated from California State Polytechnic University in San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly, as it's known in rodeo circles for its championship rodeo teams and the famous alumni who have contributed to its legacy, I was inspired by my success in intercollegiate competition. But at the same time, I realized that my rodeo career would be over unless a plan developed I could buy or train a barrel horse because at that time, barrel racing was the only event for women in professional rodeo. I had little knowledge in selecting or training horses. However, I've always been a believer in setting goals. They help in the direction that you take and the decisions that you make to help fuel those goals into reality. Goal setting has always helped me keep life from getting in the way as long as I stay on track. In order to upgrade my horsepower, I realized I needed that cursed three-letter word, job. I needed a job. I also realized that I needed time to season and get acquainted with such a horse as I could afford. As my post-college job interviews processed, I realized I didn't really, at that time in my life, want to make a career in my degreed field of agriculture. Spurred by the ignorance of youth, as we've heard said before, I wanted a flexible job that would provide time and money to invest my barrel racing options. In other words, work hard for a short time, make lots of money, and looking back, dream on. One of the main things that I enjoyed about rodeo is traveling. My dad uh, had been around the world. He worked in the aerospace field and a plan developed. I interviewed and accepted a job as a flight attendant, got the uniform, got the travel, but limited time off and no get-rich salary, that's for sure. What I didn't realize is what I thought might be a three-flight day on and four days off, I was the new girl on the block, I was on reserve, on call, and I needed to be at least two hours away from an airport. But It did give me time to be outside and to ride my horse in between those phone calls. What I did learn was the airlines offered extended leaves of absences, which worked right up my alley. Work, live at home, save money, 
take the leave, train the horse, keep my eyes on the future. And when my leaves were granted, I'd head to Arizona, stayed with friends. I would substitute teach, get this, during my leave, leaving time to work and train my horses, inner rodeos on the weekend. My teaching would provide me that income. And looking back, a plan that actually served me well. How I figured it out at that time in my life, I have no idea. And today, I know that I wouldn't have had the courage to take that gamble. I joined the Women's Professional Rodeo Association, not having a clue what wonderful experiences would come my way. I wasn't an overnight success, but I was learning the horsemanship skills that I would need to become hopefully successful. It was a big step. The rewards were small, but I loved each learning opportunity, and I made lifelong friends who, like me, shared a passion for rodeo competition and the Western lifestyle that surrounds it. Lesson, where there's a will, there's a way. Stay with us. We'll be right back with my most admired friend, one of the few women to be inducted into both the Rodeo Hall of Fame and the Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame, not to mention Cowgirl and Cowboy Hall of Fames. Jimmy Gibbs Monroe. We'll be right back after this word from South Point. You're listening to Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. We'll be right back after this. The South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa is legendary for its old-fashioned Las Vegas hospitality. Thank you to owners Michael and Paula Gone, who treat every guest like family. The South Point Equestrian Center and Preferred Pavilion is host to equestrian events of all disciplines, including the headquarters each December for the National Finals Rodeo and the United States Team Roping Finals. Definitely the place to be, not only during the NFR, but throughout the year. Make sure to check out the list of top entertainers and activities for the entire family, including bowling alleys, theater, award-winning food, great gaming tables, and loose slots. Make the South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa your first stop on your next trip to Nevada. Welcome back and thank you to our friends at South Point, Michael and Polygon, for their fantastic hospitality. Jimmy Gibbs Monroe has been my dear friend for over 40 years. In fact, I knew her before she was married to her husband, Bud, and before they had their first and only daughter, Tassie. She was a few years behind me in college, but her reputation preceded our meeting because of her successes in intercollegiate barrel racing and all-around champion cowgirl. She was mounted on a fantastic flip bar gelding she called Billy. Jimmy's the granddaughter of Colonel Zach Miller from the famous 101 Ranch and Wild West Legacy. Jimmy's mother, Blevins, was the colonel's only daughter. And I love that that Billy carried a big, large, maybe four-inch tall 101 brand high on his left hip. I found Jimmy to always be calm and poised and focused, somebody that I like to be around, especially with the stress of competition. To prove what a tough college cowgirl that she was, she and Billy won their first world barrel racing title during her last year of college. The other side of Jimmy that inspired me was the calling that she had to make her environment better and the strength that she never backed away from a challenge. Whether it was running down the alleyway to clock a winning run or backing in the box to rope a fast calf, 
Jimmy was on the NIRA board, National Intercollegiate Rodeo Association board, through her college career. And thankfully for all of us members, she accepted that role in the Women's Professional Rodeo Association. She joined the WPRA board as an all-women's rodeo director in 1976. In 1978 through 1993, Jimmy served as president of the Growing Women's Professional Rodeo Association. Soft-spoken Jimmy, with her mild-mannered personality and a get-her-done attitude, with help from her board of directors, accomplished three major goals during those years. Number one, remarkably, electric barrel racing timers at every sanctioned barrel race, which in today's world seems like it's not that big a deal, but we did come through the time when it was a hand flag. And when you think of the time that a timer takes to identify the horse crossing the line, he drops the flag, that signal goes to the secretary, she stops the watch, you realize there's a lot of play and a lot of time for errors. So accomplishing getting electric timers in the arena was huge for the sport of barrel racing. Number two, equal prize money to the men's events for the barrel racers. And again, early on, usually we were lucky to get half pay. And number three, at a time when sponsors were eyeing the financial possibility and advertising potentials in rodeo, Jimmy was involved in the sponsorship process. From literally no sponsors to companies like Coors, Dodge, Justin, Wrangler, Pro Rodeo was on the move, and Jimmy Gibbs was involved in that vision. With that said, I'm going to let Jimmy speak for herself. She's a wife, a mother, a horsewoman, a clinician, a multi-worlds champion, a businesswoman. Welcome, Jimmy, to Fun and Fast Times. Thanks for joining us. Where do we find you this morning? Oh, at home. Just uh, finished doing the things we do every morning, getting horses situated and that type of thing. And thank you for the introduction. That was so nice. Well, in this time of pandemic, a lot of our lifestyle hasn't changed because the horses still eat and the dogs need to be fed and the errands need to be run and the property needs to be tended. Life goes on, that's for sure. But I apologize in the fact that I barely touch bases on your successful resume. 11 trips to the National Finals Rodeo three world's titles, including two WPRA national championships. And I'd be remiss not to have you talk about the famous horses that you've ridden, especially Billy, and what made him the superstar he was, and perhaps talk a little about some of the other horses that you rode to the NFR. And please include your beautiful mother, Blevins, who traveled so many miles with you. The horses play such an important part in barrel racing and in our event. My dad told me once, you may have some good horses, but if you have one great horse in your lifetime, you'll be very fortunate. And so I guess I've been really very fortunate. I had the opportunity to own one, Billy, that you talked about. And then I had the opportunity to ride two other great horses that didn't belong to me, but they were great barrel horses too. So I've really been blessed in my career. We purchased Billy. I was getting ready. I graduated from high school in 1970, and I roped. I really considered myself really a roper more than a barrel racer, and I'd usually run barrels on one of the roping horses at the HRA rodeos and high school rodeos. We decided in the spring of 1970, which was the year that I graduated from high school, that we would look for a horse maybe to start on barrels. 
and something that I'd have during my college career maybe to run barrels on. So at that time, there were several flip bar gildings, and I knew that were running in Texas here. And One belonged to Karen Walls, who was the sister of Terry Walls, a PRCA stock contractor. And he was just a great little gilding that she won so much on in college and at open rodeos. And I was interested, and I thought, well, you know, we decided maybe we would try to look at a flip bar gilding. So Rebecca Tyler was living at Uvalde. So she said that she had this five-year-old gilding and that he was broke. He wasn't started on barrels or anything, but just broke really well that they'd ridden. So we went down to look at him. I was riding him and everything. My mother was walking around looking at all Rebecca's horses that she had up in pens and things. And so she kept wanting us to come and look at this bay gilding. There was a three-year-old bay gilding in a pen. And I was busy, but she, oh, you must, you've got to come and look at this gilding. So we did, and we, oh, yeah, you know, he had like three rides. And we said, oh, yeah, he's really nice looking, Jesus. And then went back to doing what we were doing, trying the horse. But she talked about that gilding all the way home. Finally, she said, just see what Rebecca would take for both of them, because we decided we were going to buy the five-year-old. And so my dad finally agreed, okay, that he would ask her what she would take for both gildings. Well, he had the five-year-old gilding was priced at $1,000, and so he asked uh, Rebecca when he called her, said, well, what would you take for that three-year-old that was in the pen? And she said, well, she'd take 1400 for both. So we always just assumed then that Billy cost 400 But that's how it came about. It was just one of those things. And if it hadn't been for my mother, I would not have had him. And it's just how things work out. Jimmy Monroe is, you know, Billy's illustrious and remarkable career and the challenges that the road threw at you and you lost Billy and Casper. Would you talk to us about that and then the direction that life took you? I lost Billy in 1980 and I mean, he'd given so much to me. He literally changed the course of my life. I had no plans to really rodeo professionally, be a professional barrel racer and rodeo professionally. He changed all that because I might not have considered myself a barrel racer, but I knew when I had him how much talent and ability that that horse had, and don't waste that. He completely changed the course of my life. And what an opportune time to have him. I was in college when he really started to run. I was toward the end of my college career. And, I mean, it was the timing could not have been better. Be got sick and ran a high fever and had a viral infection. He colicked from that, and uh, I lost him in Hardin, Montana. We were rodeo up there that summer. I lost him that summer. I was number two in the world. He'd had quite the summer, and that was right after the 4th of July when I lost him. And the six rodeos that I made over the 4th, I won five of them. I mean, he was just working phenomenal. I don't think he'd ever worked better. He was 13 at that time, and I don't think he'd ever worked any better over the 4th. But anyway, it was just such a way to remember him, and that's what my mother always said. She said, that's how you will always remember Billy. And that's the way I remember him making those runs over the 4th of July that were just phenomenal runs. We brought Billy back home from Montana and buried him here at our ranch. 
You know, the story, again, how strong you are in so many challenging things that's happened in your life, Jimmy. You know, people see you as a remarkable success and a leader of human beings, not only of women, but as a friend, knowing some challenges. And for you guys to load, Billy, and bring you back to Texas and us girls were on the road. I think I was at Casper when I heard that Billy had passed and our heart broke for you. You know, it did. But rodeo, like I said earlier in my introduction has brought so many opportunities to me that I never knew would happen. The offer to ride the next horse that you took to the NFR that year. Tell us a little bit about that story. That's interesting. It is. And that was such a great year. Lynn, Flynn and I rodeoed together that summer before I lost Billy. Mother had come up and I was going through, but we'd rodeoed together that year that I lost Billy. And I'd, I'd known Lynn for a long time was the summer of 81, and I had a young horse up north rodeoing. He'd worked fine, and I'd placed on him in the beginning and won some, but he wasn't working that well. This was over the 4th of July, so I decided I was going to go home. And Bud was rodeoing, trying to make the finals and going, and so I was just going to go home. Uh, We got to Red Lodge. Bud was from Montana, and his mother lived in Billings, and I was staying with her. And and Bobby and I had gone over to the rodeo at Red Bluff, and uh, Lynn, Leroy fell with Lynn and fell on top of her, broke her leg. I said, of, of all places to have it happen, of course, is Red Lodge, Montana. And so when it happened, I went out in the arena. They had a station wagon and one of those old wire stretchers. I'll never forget it, like you see back in the World War One or something that they put Lynn in. She was rowing on with Connie, and I said, go on. During the 4th of July, you're up at three or four different rodeos or two in the same day. And so we took Billy and tied him to our trailer. Bobby did. And so I went with Lynn to the hospital. And I'll never forget it. We get to the hospital, and everyone's at the rodeo. We go down this little gravel road and that station wagon bouncing up and down, and I'm trying to hold her leg really still. We get to the hospital, and there's not a doctor there. He's at the rodeo, so they have to call him. (laughs) And and he gets there, and they want to x-ray the leg. Well, there's no one to go. He said, if I put an apron on you, can you go in and help me (laughs) Right. It's just something I'll never forget. Denny, Lynn's husband, flew in, and I got her situated that evening, and they casted the leg, and we took Leroy and this young horse that I had back to Billings, to Bobby's place, and Denny flew in, and they released her the next day, and Denny and Lynn came to Billings. I said, well, this will work out fine. I said, I'm on my way home. I said, I'm entered at a couple more rodeos, but I'm just going to turn out. I really think it's the best thing to take this young horse home. And Denny and Lynn said, no, you're not going home. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm going home, and I'm going to come back through uh, Arkansas and drop uh, Leroy off. And they said, no, you're going to take Leroy and you're going to go. I said, okay, I'm already entered in two or three more rodeos. I think it was three. The next one was Wolf Point. I said, I'll take Leroy and run at those. And then I can bring Leroy home. 
Leroy didn't come home till Labor Day, <laughs> and we rodeoed, and I made the finals that year on Leroy, and he was such a great horse, and what a special thing they did for me. And it was the first year that Bud and I made the finals together that we were married. We'd married in 80, and I lost Billy, and I wound up like 16th. So that was really special, too, to be able to make it together. And I said it just shows a lot about the people in rodeo and the camaraderie between the people in rodeo. And, you know, to offer me Leroy, I I can't even imagine. So that was a really special thing that happened. That summertime, you know, you mentioned Connie Combs, another great name in barrel racing that was traveling with Lynn, Lynn's husband, Denny Flynn, of course, the PRCA bull rider. Your husband at that time in 1980 was on his way to win a world's championship in saddle bronc riding. But the ironic thing is you knew Bud for five years or so. He was on the NIRA board, college rodeoed with you. You both went on to the PRCA and WPRA board, and you just had so much in common. And I know that that it really cheered Bud on when you were going to stay out on the road when Denny and Lynn loaned you. Oh, I couldn't have made them if it hadn't been for Bud because after I took Leroy and I was doing well, well, he was just determined then that I was going to make the finals. And so he got in with me instead of rodeoing with someone where he could have gotten the more rodeos. He got in with me and drove. We rodeoed because I had a little money one, but not a lot. So if I was going to make the finals, we were going to have to go. We did, and it was just such a neat experience for us to be able to go together. Then I did qualify, and I know he drove Leroy to the Cow Palace. I stayed, Austin, Texas had a rodeo at that time, and I stayed and ran this young horse, and he actually placed, but I stayed and ran him in Austin, and then flew to the Cow Palace, and Bud drove Leroy to the Cow Palace, and just so many good memories. I've uh, always said that it takes a team, and I can't recall, maybe a couple, there was that one girl that just drove all over the country, I've got her book here, and that was amazing, she'd been a truck driver and and drove her (laughs) help. At least she was used to the miles and the driving. So. Oh, my word. But, I'm, I'm looking at her book right here. Harley the Horse was the horse that she rode. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, Leanne. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great so, book. I, that was the one girl that I pegged. You have done it on your own. But, you know, most everyone else, a father, a mother, a sister, a good friend, somebody was with you. And I want to take you into your mother I mean, she was a legacy in her own right as daughter of the famous Zach Miller of the 101 Ranch Wild West Rodeo and was raised on the ranch. And you being her only daughter and just the apple of her eye, she was really an important part of your traveling before birth. Such an important part. Like I said in the beginning, I wouldn't have had Billy had it not been for her. But we went everywhere from the time I was in the American Junior Rodeo Association because we had some of those AJRA rodeos that were close, but a lot of them were out in West Texas and New Mexico, and my dad couldn't get away to go. So my mother took me, and we went out to so many of those junior rodeos. That's where we got to know the Coopers. We stayed with them some in the summer. Betty Gale and I became really good friends, and Tuffy and Betty, we stayed with them. But we just made so many good friends in the AJRA. Then when I went into professional rodeo and got my card in 74, mother went up with me to the college finals, and we just decided we'd enter a few rodeos, and if I did some good, we'd stay, you know, because I'd won a little money in the winter. That was 1974, the first year I had my card. 
that's another time we came back Labor Day. So she stayed up there with me that summer, and we went to all those rodeos. So, yeah, she, she we made so many trips and so many miles together. And she drove so many miles, too. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, it was always so, such an honor and a treat for me to jump in the rig with you guys when we were on the same tour. You know, if Leo was driving, he might have a couple of guys in the truck, and I'd yeah. get in with you guys. And it was always fun woman time together. So many great memories. I said, I've really been blessed. I've had such good traveling partners, my mom and with Bud. And there's just so many memories I can't even imagine. It's hard to take in how many special memories that we have. Your gratitude and your spirit is so infectious, Jimmy. And, and that's early on what drew me, you know, in my mind's eye. Like I told my little boy when I took him to preschool, there was a cute little neighbor boy all shirt tucked in and hair slicked back. And I said, Wade, go over and meet that boy. That's your new best friend. And that's kind of how I felt like when I knew your reputation and got to spend a little time with you. And and I'm going to leave this behind. But before I do, I want to mention one more horse that was in cat. Absolutely. uh, That's an interesting story. And I always remember Bud with the NFR He'd uh, have his shirt off, his T-shirt on, and he'd be halfway in a hydro cooler to keep this horse's feet cool. And it's it's amazing, <laughs> the team effort, you and, and Bud and Kat. Yeah, it was, Kat. And that's another really neat story. In the spring of 1982, and I was doing a, a clinic in Colorado with Cheryl Harper. And this lady, who I'd met once at the finals, came up to me, Pauline Howler. And she said, I have a horse that I think has a lot of potential. He started on the barrels, and I've ridden him. I just think he has a lot of potential. She said, if I bring him up, would you ride him? And so I said, oh, okay, you know, sure. She brought Cat up, and, of course, this was early spring, so he'd been turned out, you know, and long hair, and he didn't have shoes on him and stuff, but he was a good-looking horse, but, you know. So anyway, I got on him, and I rode him around and did what I could do because, you know, like I said, he'd been turned out that winter, but he was truly a nice horse. He moved nice, and he was nice. I could tell that with what we did. And so then Pauline says, well, would you take him home with you? <laughs> I was like, well, so anyway, let me think about <laughs> Jimmy, that. <laughs> uh, what I love about you, you never say no. You just figure out an option. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll take him home. And, you know, she said, and just see what you think. So I just think he has a lot of ability. Well, she was certainly right. I took him home, and as you say, the rest is history. I started taking him to some jackpots and to some, you know, they had quarter horse shows back then. You could take him and run him in later on that year. And then in 83, I started taking him to some rodeos. And I won Reno in June, and that just sort of kicked things off. And I made the finals on him that year. And he qualified. I qualified for him four times for the finals. But 84 was a really special year because in 84, which was the last year the finals were held in Oklahoma City, I won the first five rounds on him at the (laughs) NFR. One more thing, though, about Pauline. She was so good to me. I never owned him. He always belonged to Pauline. She never took him away from me. She could have. She's just such a wonderful lady and such a class act, and she just allowed me to keep him. 
all those years. And she owned him. But she came to Reno and she came to the NFR and came to some places without running. But what a special, how many times does it happen? So she was a very special lady and allowed me the opportunity to ride a very special horse. I admire your horsemanship and your knowledge and ability to care for your horses. And, and I'm sure that Pauline appreciated that. Cat always looked like a brand new shiny penny every time I saw him, even though he was bay worked well, worked consistent, and he really displayed your eye for a good horse and an opportunity, your good, consistent horsemanship, and I know the extra and overwhelming care that you had to give that particular horse. Students love you. You do great clinics. Your sponsors love you. I have to say, most of all, I admire your leadership skills that continue to shape your life, your daughter's life, your husband's life, and the sport of barrel racing and women's rodeo events a total of 20 years on the WPRA Board of Directors has to tell us something, 18 years of those as president. Now, I have to bring up another chapter. Eight years ah. later, after you've been off the board, you've thrown your cowgirl hat into the ring along with your consent form to run for president in 2021. What inspired you to get back into politics? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I was asked by numerous people if I'd consider signing a consent form. We had to sign a consent form, and then everyone who signed one, they make a list of the names, and then they're sent out, and people nominate for president from that list. But anyway, I did sign the consent form, and I served in before because... I really felt the need to give something back to the association and the sport because it had been very good to me. And I don't think you decide to serve as a director or an officer in an association unless you think you can make a difference. And it's my hope that I would be able to contribute again. And so I guess it's something that we will see. You know, I feel it's the job of the president to work with all the directors and bring them together to help to lead them in the right direction. And I think it's important that the president create an environment that's respectful of all the views of the directors. And because when it's all said and done, we're a team. And I think, you know, that we should be able to find common ground and to move forward with the same goal that we all have, or we wouldn't have agreed to serve on the board. And that's for the betterment of the association and its members. Anyway, I did, and it's sort of hard for me to believe that I'm sitting here saying that I did, but I did. I'm I'm (laughs) laughing at the message that you left me on my phone, you know, well, I just wanted to talk to you and let you know what I did and why I did it, and I, I always have faith in whatever your decision is, Jimmy, but we need to take a break. Stay with us. Be right back after this word from Flair Equine Nasal Strips, maximizing our horse's performance one run at a time. You're listening to Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. We'll be right back after this. Flare Equine Nasal Strips are self-adhesive strips that promote optimum respiratory health of equine athletes at every level of competition. The strips reduce airway resistance and improve airflow when your horse needs oxygen most. Veterinarian-developed Flare Strips are a drug-free, simple, cost-effective tool for supporting the long-term respiratory health of all equine athletes that perform in both training and competition with undaunted enthusiasm and heart. Try Flare Strips and experience the benefits for your horse, whether it be at the Kentucky Derby or during occasional weekend competitions or trail rides. Go to flarestrips.com to learn more and find retailers near you. 
your horse will be glad you did. This is Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. And now, back to Sharon. The short going Cheyenne. Oh, son, he's rolling like a thunderstorm. Fast as lightning on the plains. Now they're tired and sore. Welcome back. I'm Sharon Camarillo, and joining me on our 40th podcast is Jimmy Gibbs Monroe. Jimmy, it appears one of the goals of the WPRA is to strengthen its membership base, and you mentioned also the importance of the board working together. I would think with the lucrative purses at our larger rodeos nowadays that some of those former divisional barrel racers that have got their experience in different associations would have an interest in joining the WPRA. What does it take to become a member of the WPRA? And what would the board do to mentor those women who might want to take that step into professional rodeo? Well, of course, everyone has to start out with a permit and a good horse. (laughs) I mean, you know, the horse is very important in our... You have to fill a permit before you're able to purchase a card, and you have to win $1,000 on that permit. And then you have the choice whether you can purchase your membership card or you can purchase another permit. And sometimes that happens if a member decides that they want to and do their rookie year the next year. Maybe they want to run for rookie of the year, and it's toward the end of the year, the middle or something, when they fill their permit. So that's an option, that they can buy another permit, and then you can want, win an unlimited amount on that permit for the rest of the year. And then, like I said, you have the option at the beginning of the next year to buy your membership and to go for Rookie of the Year. Or you may just decide that you want to stay on permit. But it's been a hard year, you know, for permits. Last year was with, you know, not as many rodeos, I'm sure, accepting permits because, well, there just weren't very many rodeos. And the ones that did happen were getting such large, you know, turnouts that a lot of them that previously had accepted permits didn't accept permits. But there's the divisional circuit events that are in every circuit, the jackpots. You have the opportunity to go to those, and the money that you win on those can count towards your permit. So there are a lot of opportunities, and there's you can talk with your circuit director. Some of these circuits are having permit finals. When you have your divisional circuit events, sort of a finals in your circuit for your ones that have accumulated money at the jackpots, then you have a permit finals, too, at some of the circuits. So that's something for the permit members. You know. Well, I'm interested in the vision of the board, and I'm also interested in your vision for the future of the WPRA for the top 15, our permit holders, as you've mentioned, but also newly added breakaway roping, which we visited not too long ago, that breakaway roping is really coming out. You nor I either one might have been a barrel racer if they'd had roping when we graduated from college. 
we'd have taken that route. But on the other hand, it's a little bit like where barrel racing was in the 60s. So uh, I I can see nothing but going up with that membership. Well, it's really exciting. Of course, you know, the goal should be for your board, you want to create more opportunities for all your members, whether it's your barrel racers, card members, your breakaway tie down or team roping members. But the breakaway, I mean, you know, having more events for roping, breakaway tie down, team roping. But the breakaway, sort of like the barrel racing, like you're saying all those years ago, it has really caught on and it's so popular in rodeo now, just like the barrel racing did. These rodeos back in the early times could have had other WPR events, but they chose the barrel race because it was popular with their crowds. And it's the same way with the breakaway, and it's just phenomenal what's happening with the breakaway. But they're, I'm sure, experiencing growing pains just like we all did. The first thing that I see is to try to have the breakaway roping in as many rodeos as you can. And you're starting to see the breakaway at more and more rodeos. I was visiting with a circuit spokeswoman up in the wilderness circuit, and she's the breakaway spokeswoman. And she was telling me that they have 40 rodeos in their circuit and that 30 of them are having breakaways, so that's really something think that's a goal to try to get the breakaway and now they're going to be at the circuit finals all the circuit finals as i understand i'm not in but as i understand the circuit finals are all going to have a breakaway which means they'll be at the national circuit finals and the tour finale in salinas is having breakaway so if the tour finale has breakaway that means i'm sure that the the breakaway is going to have to be held at a certain number of the tour rodeos so you know there's just things are really happening really fast and there's just a lot of things I'm sure to try and address with the breakaway now they have limits like there are some of the barrel races and trying to come up with a format how they can qualify and maybe they you know into all these the same format where they know what they've got to do to qualify into limited entry rodeos. But like you said, it's just uh, an equal money. That will be something, you know, to work toward in the next few years at all these. So there's just a lot of exciting things happening really fast in the breakaway, and I think that's great. Even though we didn't see at the NFR during the telecast, they had it included, and there was a gold buckle given, and I'm not sure if the prize money was even. You may know that. But the American $100,000, you know, and actually the qualifiers had a chance to run at that million. So it's on the move, that's for sure. It definitely is on the move. And I look for the breakaway to be an event not only held during the national finals, but in the national finals rodeo within the next couple of years, just from what I'm seeing, you know. So no, great things are happening in the breakaway. Well, that's going to be important that the board is united. And I would think that a strong board and a visionary leader like yourself is crucial in strengthening and uniting the membership. So with these opportunities, we've got to work together. We do. And, you know, communication, transparency, all those things as they have been in the past are so important in doing just what you're saying, Sharon. I've got a difficult question to ask you, Jimmy. Wanted to ask you in closing, aside from the obvious, what sets you apart from your other candidates? Well, I would have to say, I guess, the number of years of leading the association and during that time building good relationships with committees and sponsors and stock contractors, judges, and the PRCA. And it takes all of these entities for Rodeo to be successful. So hopefully I can bring some of that 
to the board if by some chance I was elected president again. Well, coming in to your initial boardship with the Women's Professional Rodeo Association, you came in as an all-woman's rodeo director. Two years away from that, you were president of the association. And your lifestyle, your equestrian experience, and like you say, your relationships with the PRCA and our all-important companies that work with us and our sponsors is hugely important. You're an inspiration, Jimmy. You're a visionary. You're a fixer. And I have to say thank you for joining us today. Is there an email or a website that you might share with our listeners if they have questions they may want to have answered or ask? That would be great. I have a Facebook. They can message me on Facebook. They can text me. My number is 254-722-5128. They can contact me. They can call me or message me on my Facebook. I'm glad to hear from all of them and their input because that's what's so important, you know, is the input from your members. Like I said, your communication with them and your transparency, all that's really important for the association. Well, just the fact that you gave your text number out to the public and we have about 8,000 listeners on our Star Wars (laughs) website, that tells me how patient your husband Bud is. (laughs) And how much support he's throwing in the ring. But <laughs> Very fortunate. He's always supported me, and hopefully I have him and everything that I've done. So I'm very blessed there. Well, I'm going back to the couple. You as a couple are visionaries in your own right, your inspirations. And the both of you have been such a contribution to our sport and our industry in so many ways. But I have to close with saying there are two Jimmys running, ironically. There's only one Jimmy Monroe. I wish you the best of luck, my dear friend. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that so much. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Well, we'll be right back. Thank you, Jimmy Monroe. It's just always an honor to have you join us. You can look back in our index and see that we've had Jimmy Monroe on in earlier podcasts. And she always has inspiration to throw out at us. Thank you for joining us today on Fun and Fast Times, and I hope that Jimmy has inspired you as she has so many people during her career in and out of the rodeo arena. You're listening to Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. We'll be right back after this. The Barrel Racing Superstore is your one-stop shop, and we're here to help you. We have Rainsman bits, including Sharon's entire collection and those hard-to-find discontinued favorites that we're committed to keeping in stock. You can build the saddle of your dreams with our experts, including seat size, tooling, and colors, so you can have a truly custom saddle. If you need electronic timers for your arena or association, we have them. Call us, 530-570-1852, or go to BarrelRacingSuperstore.com. We're here for your success. Her daddy gave her her first pony, then taught her to ride. She climbed high in that saddle, fell I don't know how many times. Once again, I can't thank Jimmy Monroe enough for taking her time out of her busy schedule. Remember, Fun and Fast Time has its very own Facebook page, and we've had a lot of fun on that because we're getting like clicks And we really ask you to send a message. And what can we do for you? Would love to hear ideas or thoughts. And and you're welcome to criticize me because I sure honor my producer, Rob, for cleaning up some of my 
stumbles and bumbles. It's fun to be able to host the Fun and Fast Times website, and I love that we've survived 40 podcasts. I want to say thank you to Rob on our Star Worldwide Network. He's a great producer, and he's taught me a lot. And Debbie Wood Matthews is our director. I want to say also thank you to iTunes, my friend Chris Ledoux, Ian Tyson, and Ronnie Dunn and Kix Brooks for allowing us to use their music. Thanks to the South Point Hotel and Casino for supporting our podcast, to Flair Equine Nasal Strips, promoting health for the performance horse, and to Barrel Racing Superstore for offering a place to shop for your horse. I'm Sharon Camarillo. Until we meet again, we'll be back, as we say in the arena. Chin up, eyes forward. Thanks for joining Sharon today. If you have any questions or comments, you can always reach out to Sharon at SharonCamarillo.com or email RafterCProductions at gmail.com. We'll see you next time on Fun and Fast Times with Sharon Camarillo, part of Dave Pratt's Star Worldwide Networks. I